The Stanley Cup playoffs have arrived. The playoffs are ending for some. It happens that fast. Welcome to In Goal Radio, the podcast, the source for everything that's goaltending, coaching goaltending, and the gear for goaltenders. Presented by the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. I'm Darren Millard, to be joined by David Hutchinson and Kevin Woodley. Today, we will chat with Joey Decord. If that name is familiar, well, it rings a bell from a goaltending coach from around the National Hockey League that has spent a number of years in the NHL. He was born into the position and has gone from a Sun Devil to a Senator, and it's been a very different but effective ride. We will also spend some time in the gear segment chatting about something a lot more specific. Do you wear any type of glove underneath your blocker and trapper? Maybe just your trapper? We'll get into that as we dive into the goaltending in the opening couple of weeks of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Here are gurus, Woodley and Hutch. And gentlemen, it's been a very, very fascinating start to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I would like to start, if you don't mind, because you guys are are gear nuts. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky kicked off the Stanley Cup playoffs with pads and gloves that he'd never worn before. Then went back uh, to his previous set for game number three. Uh, just Woody, how unusual is it to debut new gear in the Stanley Cup playoffs? I don't think he was even the only one to do it, to be honest. I think Peter Morazic had a fresh set of Vaughn roll out with uh, the Carolina Hurricanes to start the playoffs. And it's not like, like just because it's new to us, we're seeing it. The gloves, I know the blocker and glove he wore in a game towards the end of the regular season. I would suspect he probably had the pads before. And that's the thing with the equipment companies these days. It's not like there's a huge difference from one set to the next. As a matter of fact, it's what most NHL goalies sort of praise and preach uh, that they love about these companies is the ability to deliver a consistent product right out of the box for there's still some guys that need a lot of time to break it in but most uh, like Vasilevsky don't need much it's going to get a lot of attention it had a great new graphic on it sort of a lightning bolt uh, design that matched the team Uh, it was a good look it got a lot of attention when he debuted it because of the way the series has gone, because he switched out of it and back to the set he was using at the end of the regular season, uh, it's going to get a lot more attention. But I really don't think this is this is about the gear not performing for him or anything like that. No, I think that I think that just means that Andre Vasilevsky is like uh, all of us, and uh, the fact that he was moving out of the gear probably just indicates he was looking for a little bit of uh, a change of luck. Things were working before in one set. He's maybe just a little bit superstitious like uh, the regular beer league goalie. So let's go back to the stuff that had some wins in it. Uh, We've been talking for years about the fact that guys can open up a a box, pull out a brand new set of pads and wear them in a game that night now, uh, as Kev said, because things are just so consistent. And and didn't we just hear recently uh, from Kay Whitmore about one goaltender wearing 36 gloves in, in a season? So uh, guys don't need months to break this stuff in. So I think it's perfectly normal that he, uh, he pulled them out and used it. And I think it's just a normal goaltender mentality that he went back to the stuff that was uh, had some wins in it. And my apologies, I should have sent a text to the goalie coach there just to double check it. But to be honest with you, like for all we know, this could be a home and away thing. 
They wore the new stuff in the dark to with the dark jerseys because it's got darker accents. They go to Columbus. They're in the all-white jerseys, and he goes back to the all-white set. Yep. Like, I don't know this to be the case. We usually like to have these conversations with the goalies. And, again, my apologies. We we, we typically can check in with these guys. Uh, didn't in advance of this, probably because I, I don't think it's that big a deal. It's certainly not as, as big a deal as some might make it out to be. Listen, at this point, the Tampa Bay Lightning are one of the greatest teams of the past 30 years, and they're down three donuts to Sergei Bobrovsky and the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, it would be natural to grasp at a few straws if that's indeed the case. But uh, let's not make this about the gear. And if anybody that is, I would kind of tisk-tisk a little bit on that. You guys are sticklers for double-checking and triple-checking uh, with people before you go on the air with with opinions. Or it's not even an opinion at that stage. It's, it's nailed-down fact. So I'm going to throw something at you uh, off the top of my head, and it's going to force you to answer something just based on uh, being around the game. Do you think that a goaltender would have to clear new gear with the coaching staff before he uses it in something like the Stanley Cup playoffs? Don't think so, no. Um, no. There are certainly I don't think so either, but... That, yeah, that, no, there are organizations that have gone dark gear but, in the past. But that like comes at the ordering level. Fact. That comes at the ordering level, right? So they, they would never have ordered the gear if they couldn't use it. Oh, we I know at least one NHL team that uh, the order slipped through. The oh, order yeah. came in. Oh, yeah. The order was paid for. Oh. And the order was all dark equipment that never saw the light of day um, because it was dark equipment. So let's not fool ourselves. Mistakes happen. Um, and there have been instances where the team policy is one thing and the equipment arrives looking like a different and the team policy wins out. But in terms of, you know, hey, I'm going to wear new gear in the Stanley Cup playoffs today, they would know how comfortable Andre Vasilevsky is um, in terms of trusting where he needs to be with his equipment to feel good about his equipment going into a game. And let's not forget... Like Vasilevsky switched gear on short notice this season already and had no problems with this performance. So I don't see this as being a big deal that way. I also don't see it as as a big deal because Vasilevsky has a, a lot invested in, in a performance and success trying to win a Stanley Cup. And I just, I, I, I raise my eyebrows uh, at people who are criticizing him and saying, why would he do this? Like he's he's got to be comfortable in in putting himself in that position because he wants to win. He's not going to take any type of risk. Yeah, and everything I know of Andre Vasilevsky and equipment is he gets pretty comfortable pretty quick, and he's a guy who thinks he can play in pretty much anything. Um, but you're right, he's not going to go out there unless he's comfortable. Like he's not going to prioritize a new look over no. feeling feeling good about his game and what he's wearing. And uh, I, I had a long conversation about him or with, about him with him about the gear this year, what he likes about it uh, and all the positives. And, you know, again, like he, he's comfortable with his equipment and I, I don't think switching the look of it to start the playoffs is why they're down a, in, a, in an 0-3 hole to the Blue Jackets. The other, the ironically, the guy at the other end who's had his fair share of playoff criticism in the past couple of years, uh, he might have something to do with it. Yeah. He's he's been very very good. One area that we've seen uh, an increase in the uh, the trend in the National Hockey League, and it's filtered down. And it was a topic of conversation in the very first interview on In Goal Radio, the podcast with uh, Roberto Luongo, is the reverse VH 
and then leading to what we're seeing uh, in the St. Louis series from one player in particular, and that's Dustin Bufflin, who sent several sharp angle shots either off the rush or, in fact, scored from behind the net, banking the puck off Jordan Bennington's head as Bennington was in the reverse VH. Are we going to see more of this as forward skaters, defensemen, try to counter the effectiveness of the RVH? It's a hole that's there to exploit. Uh, I think it feels like it's a new thing to a lot of folks because goals like this really stand out. But we've been seeing shooters taught to exploit that hole uh, literally with that shot off the side of the year for years now uh, in camps. Uh, I think it's a, a fact of things bubbling up from below and and reaching the NHL uh, as they're they're developed at lower levels uh, of the game and and we're starting to see it now um, I've seen goaltenders taught to that the only way you're going to seal that hole is to lay your ear against the post and use your face to seal that hole so uh, it's something that's been there for a while people will continue to try and find a way to exploit it but I think it's uh, more important than trying to point out a fault here is is really look at uh, the fact that there's a lot of great advantages at that position as well. And and Kevin, uh, Roberto Luongo talked to you about that a bit too, didn't he? Yeah, and I think we'll replay that just so people can hear it because I thought it was interesting. Uh, he's a guy that I know when he talks about the evolution of his game, and we talked to him about that in the first episode of this podcast, uh, the reverse is a big part of it. And learning the reverse is a massive part of it. He struggled in VH. He struggled with dead angle plays. And there is a place for it. Doesn't mean it's going to be executed properly every time. Doesn't mean there aren't holes. It's everything in goaltending is a give and take. This time of year, a goal like that will bring it back into focus. Um, Most of the time, it's an execution failure, not a failure of the tactic itself. But I do think at this time of year in particular, uh, we see teams target things like this um, actively because that's what pre-scouts are all about. And at the end of the day, Plays from below or near the goal line, dead angle, sharp angle plays are creating a ton of offense in these playoffs. Um, Everybody will focus on the one on Bennington's ear, uh, but three of the six goals the Jets scored the other night were with him moving in and out of reverse VH. One on a rush down towards the goal line and then a puck thrown across where he's leaning into the post as the puck goes the other way. So it's that much more of an open net on a backdoor tap in. And another one where Winnipeg just worked the blues below the goal line back and forth before finally executing on a low high and a quick one-timer shot. Those low high plays are increasingly a part of how you score in the NHL. And so the focus on creating them in the postseason and the focus on how a goalie executes in and out of his post, whether it's reverse, whether it's VH, however they do it, um, just it's magnified at this time of year. And so when mistakes happen and when they're as glaring as the one or as they look as bad as the goal from Buffalo on a play below the goal line, we're all going to talk about it. But as Luongo said, uh, you can't talk about it without focusing on all the saves. It helps some of these guys make that they might not have in the past. Do you want to play a clip of Roberto Luongo? Should yeah, we should we flat, flip back to that? Okay, let's let's go back to episode one. Enter the In Goal Radio podcast time machine, and just get an, a a little bit of opinion from Roberto Luongo on the advantages of the RVH. That's something that uh, really uh, my game to a different level. I think before that. Uh, just a regular VH guy, and a lot of times I'd be flat-footed or letting goals bad, from bad angles, and saw a lot of that when I was in the earlier years of Vancouver, and then uh, 
once I started making that transition, it allowed me to uh, play, you know, certain plays in a different way and see the play better and, and able to react in, in a much better way. And uh, uh, it really changed, uh, you know, the way I played, uh, but also gave me, I think, uh, a little bit more longevity as far as being able to stay in the league and, and be uh, effective. That is uh, Kevin Woodley and Roberto Luongo actually driving around in, in Woodley's car. We, we've come a long way since then because now Woodley, when he does the interviews in the car, he just stays put, and, and it's a lot more comfortable, a lot easier for everybody to concentrate when, when he does these uh, these feature-like interviews. Uh, I, and again, that Dustin Bufflin play isn't necessarily a criticism of how Jordan Bennington uh, approached the RVH. It was more Bufflin taking advantage of, of something that uh, that was there. We do suggest coaches that are listening to this, do not let your players practice banking the puck off a goaltender's head in, in the midst of one of your regular workouts. That's not going to go well. Hutch, as a goalie dad, you, you fully support me on this, right? Uh, I do. And full disclosure, my son had one knocked off his ear into the net this weekend. So uh, <laughs> it happened. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, he did, literally. Uh, so it happens at every level. Uh, you know, I thought Kevin brought up another interesting point when he talked about some of the goals being moving in and out of the RVH. And people look at it in isolation and say, well, you know, you should only be using this technique uh, if the shooter is within a stick length of you or directly driving the goal or or something. But um, I think we need to recognize that a lot of goals go in in transition. Uh, they don't as often go in when you're set. They don't go in when you're down in the RVH, when you're standing. They they go in, in as a result of that transition, whether it's the low to high play whether it's somebody driving the net as the goaltender tries to drop into the RVH. And I think that's why you see a lot of guys holding a position uh, in places that the layman can look at and say, well, he should never be in the RVH there. But but the reality is that if if he gets caught in transition, holes open up. Yeah, it's an ex- it's actually a really good point, Hutch. And um, listen, we're not saying one or the other is absolute right. Some coaches will want you holding your skates more. As a matter of fact, when I was on the ice with Roberto uh, this summer in Florida for a week, that was one of the things he was working on, patience before going into the RVH. But certainly, like that Bennington goal I described is all about him leaning into the post one way as the play's moving the other way, and that happens a lot. And that's why other coaches are going to preach stay in the RVH rather than getting caught moving in and out of it. Another goalie who's made that adjustment over the past couple of years and increased his success on dead angle plays, Pekka Rinne. One of the pre-scouts when I had to do the NHL.com breakdowns two years ago was for sure to catch him in transition off his posts, and it led to a bunch of goals in the regular season. Fast forward two years, not nearly as many goals off dead angle plays, and the change that Rene made last season was to be in it earlier. Big body moving around, he felt like he could take up that space and move out of it, as opposed to get caught moving in and out of it more often. And you know, so again, right up to the highest levels, it's a matter of finding a way that works for your strengths and executing them at the right time in the proper way. I'm not saying there's just one way to do it, but for all the people that complain about guys being down in it too often or too early, um, yeah, hey, there are times when that's correct, but there are other times it's for a reason. Uh, one other thing, just watching different different goaltenders in the playoffs, I won't point anybody out specifically, but uh, uh, and, and then it, uh, it also seeps into lower levels, is when your team gets the puck, whatever team, your, your, your team's goaltender, they're a little slow coming out of the RVH, and and then there's a turnover, and then you're stuck. And it's happened twice in the NHL this week where goaltenders just uh, relax a little bit. They don't pop up, 
and then they're then they're stuck. I know Hutch, you're looking at me weird, but I've watched it. Yeah, and no, it's happened, I, and it co- it, and it cost two goals. I was just yeah, no, trying I, to track where you were going. I'm not disagreeing with you. No, and that's the thing. Like that, the other thing about when it's when you sit in it. Like there are yeah. times to when plays. I've we've seen it this year. I've, I've pre-scattered on goalies as a habit, and it's cost them. Plays move up the wall. You're no longer a dead angle play. Like I understand being in it early, in and around the net, and some guys deciding to sit into it. But once it's above the goal line and moving up the wall and up to the hash marks, there are some goalies that will still sit in it. And yep. I think most coaches will tell you that's a mistake. And there's an example where a turnover at that point, and you're sort of relaxed in this stance. Like, um, you know, it's easy to get into those habits, but I don't think there are any habits that we'd want to see uh, in in goaltenders we were working with if if we were so inclined. Hey, I don't give a lot of uh, advice on on positioning or or skills on this podcast, but if there's one thing I know, it's being lazy. And and I know lazy, and sometimes it just it just it just seeps into you where you think you've got some time with your team with the puck possession, and there's a quick turnover. Okay, uh, move on. Uh, Mike Smith uh, got the start for the Calgary Flames, and there's been uh, a real renaissance in Mike Smith from the first uh, midway part of the year to the to the start of the playoffs where he gets the assignment, and one of the big influences, Woody, is something that you don't really see one piece of his equipment. Yeah, you know, I talked to Mike late in the year, uh, and, and that's the thing. His numbers are down, no question. Um, and But he start, he finished pretty strong, I think 9-17 after something like mid-January. So not, I mean, not lead the league numbers, but good numbers behind a team that, in my opinion, uh, doesn't give its goaltenders a lot of easy saves. Like they, they, they take away all the sort of 99 percenters that can pad a save percentage. But when they do give up chances, as we've seen in this Colorado series, they can be glorious. Um, so I, I just don't think behind that system, I've said this with Bill Peters for years in Carolina, you're going to see goalies post super high numbers. Um, and he was good for the second half of the season. So I had a chance to talk to him about the, the, tr- the changes. One of them, before we get to the chesty, one of them was just accepting the way David Riddich was playing and uh, Mike talked about um, the mindset that came with no longer being the guy and admitted that there were some things that he could have handled differently about that. It's been a weird year as far as, you know, the, the starts are concerned. Just, uh, just the consistency and yeah, game to game. But, um, and that's been an adjustment for me, you know, coming from playing every game and then, you know, even if you lose, you you know you go back in, and so that's been a little bit different this year. But the rules um, different in that regard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so uh, and it's I probably didn't handle it as well as I I could have, and that maybe affected the way I was playing more. But um, mentally, you think? Yeah, it's, it's it's harder mentally. You know, it's way harder mentally when you're you don't know when you're going to play. You don't know. Um, you know, tough to get in the groove and then whatever it may be, but it, it's just been a different year. Just, but Ritter's played unbelievable, right. you know, so, so, uh, you know, he, he's deserved to play too. So I think we have two guys that uh, are capable of playing games and playing well for this group. And that's the most important thing. And the other thing, as you mentioned, Darren was a chest and arm. Um, not many people see it. A lot of people sort of noticed that he was switching. I saw a lot of changes. I mean, he started in the CCM unit. First game of the season was here in Vancouver. Comes through town a bit later. He's got a Kineski on. By the time he came through town at the end of the year, it was a Frankenstein with three different models. Oh, three. Three different models. 
So the one you still see and you would have seen the other night when he was in Colorado for game three because that white jerseys of the Flames and Smitty sweats yeah. a ton, you see right through it. And so everybody Pops. assumes he's wearing a Kineski because you, you can see the logos right through the jersey, right? Kineski. Well, underneath that are CCM arms, although modified, and we'll let him explain how to allow for more range of motion. He found them a little stiff out of the gate. And here's the kicker. A Reebok 11K chest unit that he used to wear in the past. So, again, the changes that they made at the NHL level were shoulder wings, and the Kineski ones are legal. The arms and the CCM ones are legal. But the actual chest unit, other than being properly sized to the goaltender and making sure it fit within restrictions, didn't change. Didn't There were no significant changes to the body wrap. And so as long as his fits on the right sizing for the mannequin, he's okay to use it. He's got a hybrid of all three under there. And as he talks about to me at the end of the season, that's made a massive difference in his game. If you watched his game, you can see it in terms of hand positioning. And, and that's the thing with him. You can't, and he'll talk about it here, about having his hands in tight to protect his chest. You can't play as deep as he plays without active hands. And so anything that took away that freedom in his hands, and we've seen the windmill glove saves. Um, there are times I'd love him to lean a shoulder into one of those shots rather than open it up with a windmill. But we've seen the active hands and the glove in the first three games of this series. I don't think we saw that in the first half. And the chesty, as Mike explains now, is a big part of it. Oh, my God. I've seen that was the biggest thing. Couldn't get comfortable. I couldn't move my arms and playing the puck wise. Couldn't move my arms. And then when you're when you're you know going to absorb pucks and it's and it's hurting, then I started getting smaller because I was trying to, to block with my gloves because I didn't want to get hit here. And then I was making myself small. You know what I mean? I was trying to catch stuff in front in front of here because I didn't want to get hit up in the upper chest and and it's getting hit in the ribs and stuff and then you're going you're going reverse and you're getting hit with shots here you know what i mean so then you're starting to you know tighten up a little bit right you're starting to squeeze like this now and you're not, now you're now, now you're, it's just you're, not, you're you're flinching exactly it's fascinating how how the nuances of of chest and arm and it can be it can be different but it, it all comes together in three different manufacturers is that is that the most extreme you've seen in in your travels, Woody, is three different models put together? Yeah, I'm trying to think of how you could even have a I guess about the only way you could have a fourth is you actually took like an elbow cap from one brand Something, and yeah. stu stuffed it in the other brand's arms. But yeah, we're getting up there in terms of customization. That's as Frankenstein as a Frankenstein can be uh, at the NHL level. And of course, we should throw out the caveat. Uh, you don't play in that just you, the... You don't just randomly throw that together and wear it out on the ice one day. Um, you need to have that approved, and that would have been signed off on by Kay Whitmore and measured and made sure that it was all kosher. Shipping company sends it to Toronto. Shipping company sends it back to Calgary, and uh, all in between uh, a couple of different skates, and, and, and it's there for practice or for a game. Uh, it's interesting. It's fascinating, and it also goes into uh, the different little specifics the goaltenders want in their gear from the National Hockey League down to the junior goaltenders, minor league goaltenders, minor hockey goaltenders, and, and the uh, the men's leaguers like us, Woody. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? That brings us to our good friends at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey, BC, because we've always, we're always talking about the new gear. 
Um, we're always going over the new lines with Cam and the guys. But the reality is up in the skate shop near Cecil, there's also a repair shop. And I've seen them, uh, whether it's repairing old gear, adding life to old gear, adding custom straps, the kind of things that Mike Smith wanted to do with his chest and arm, pulling one piece from one and adding it to the other, custom sewing. Uh, they do all that at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey, BC as well. And I guess that probably shouldn't surprise us, right? Because they understand, as we've been saying, they understand what goaltenders need, what goaltenders want. They understand how equipment performs. And that's why they're the, the place that I go when I have equipment questions. They're not just going to sell me the latest brand. They're going to try and figure out, because they all play the position themselves, what my style is, what my preferences are, and what my options in the latest equipment will best are that will best suit sort of those styles and preferences, whether it's the latest from CCM and their eFlex 4 lineup, which comes out on April 26th, uh, other companies, Brian's, Vaughn, we've been through them all over the past couple of weeks. The difference of going to the hockey shop source for sports versus anywhere else is when you walk in there, you don't just get to see all the latest. You have guys who play the position to help walk you through how it's actually going to perform. And if you're in the area, you have a chance to go out and test their demo gear and get a feel for it yourself, including the ultimate demo gear event, Tendy Fest on May 26th. You can get out to Burnaby 8 Rinks, try it yourself on the ice, try all the different brands in the same day before you buy for next season. Uh, look for more details on that on our social media uh, and over the next four weeks here on the podcast. And if you can't make it out in person, guys, Hockey Shop uh, at thehockeyshop.com online or contact them through email through the website and they'll answer all your questions custom orders on eflex 4 already being taken on the other lines as well uh, make sure you check out the hockey shop and the hockey shop source for sports for all your goaltending needs it's goaltenders serving goaltenders and that means they get it right and I'm also told that uh, when you show up and you've got something weird, something different, something unique that you want customized or switched onto your gear, they won't look at you at uh, Source for Sports, uh, the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com. They won't look at you the way Hutch looks at me and Woody during the course of this podcast when we're either saying something that he doesn't agree with or we're talking too long. I promise they will buy in. I'm just slow. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Hey, I <laughs> I dropped by the hockey shop on the weekend just more to more to say hi than than anything and uh, pick up a new twig for Junior Hutch, but uh I got to tell you, I I watched Cam working with uh with a beer league customer who spent more than an hour going through just about every piece of equipment in the store. He did it with the patience of Job. This was the most important guy in his life for that hour. Uh, the way he treated him was was incredible. And I also got to meet Cecil for the first time. And uh, he did a brilliant job with a set of skates for us. So great to be able to drop by there. Uh, the other thing that happened uh, this week, guys, is we received a couple of sets of uh, Eflex 4 from CCM. And what a pleasure, even with all the gear that we get to test, to uh, be able to open up a box and pull out a fresh set of gear. Love it. Nice. It's 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 still like even though you're up to date line to line to line, uh, it's still cool, isn't it? It's it's still cool. It absolutely is because quite often we get a chance to create the design, to add a few features, and so on, and it's it's always really exciting. So probably uh, by the time this podcast publishes, we'll at least have a, a bit of a tease for what we've received up on social. Well, let's send Woody on his weekly journey, and it's a, a more specific piece of equipment that we review this week. Woody. Hey, welcome back to the basement at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey. 
here with Cam Matwiv once again, talking about goalie gear. And we've spent the last, what, five weeks breaking down all the new lines. Pads, gloves, blockers, Brian, CCM, Vaughn, uh, Warrior. We've done them all. Now, it's time to look at some of the goodies because that's what I like about you guys. You're always looking for things that are a little different, uh, not just your pads, your gloves, anything that a goalie can use. And to tell a little side story, I remember when we first discovered that Tim Thomas and Carey Price were wearing G-form knee pads underneath their knee guards in the NHL. And we did a story, this is years ago at Ingold Mag, and you guys were the first ones to make sure you went out and stocked it. You know, what was essentially being built at the time, those pour-on knee pads before Bauer bought the rights, for hockey, they were being made for like action sports. And you guys went out and found that and were one of the first retails to offer. And it quickly became a very popular item. You've done it again, this time without our help. You found it yourself, the lizard skin batting glove. You've gone out and you've stocked it here in the goalie department in the basement at the hockey shop source for sports. You're getting all kinds of good feedback. This is more than just a batting glove. If you're a goalie that likes to wear one inside your glove, whether it's block or glove, Tell us why you guys found this one, what you like about it, and what, what kind of feedback you're getting from goalies that have bought it. For sure. I would say it's probably one of the most requested items that I get down here. It's like, oh, you know, have you seen uh, what uh, Tuka Rask has in your hands? Like, yeah, I, I want a batting glove. Is it a golf glove? Is it, you know, is it a batting glove? So after a little bit of more research and a bit of uh, kind of a kick in the pants, we kind of looked around and, you know, we found uh, this Lizard's Kids glove. Um, and, and we definitely think we found the right product for, for this request for sure. Uh, the, the glove itself actually has a bit of padding in it. Um, it's nice and grippy once it gets wet. It acts like a little bit of a soccer glove in that sense. It, it's the perfect glove for inside your glove. Genuine sheepskin leather combines soft feel and durability. I'm reading the product feature on the nice packaging with the inner glove with padding by Lizard Skins. Where are the pads uh, on the tips of the fingers? So I've got it on the tips of my fingers, and then I've got it right in the upper uh, portion of the palm, just so, under it. So a little bit of security in terms of puck impact? I, exactly. So, uh, you know, if you want to breathe a little bit of life into your old gloves, you know, you can definitely add this in, definitely help you with, with some of those stingers for sure. Well, I haven't had a chance to try it myself, but we've got a guy testing it who just happens to be under an NHL contract, as they say on a much bigger podcast. Not a big deal. Um, we're going to get some feedback from him. What's been the feedback from your guys so far in terms of guys in the store who have tested, but also customer feedback? Because I know you you hear back from the people that buy it. What do they like about the padding in the fingers? Does it help sort of get a grip on closure? For sure. One of the other things, too, is that we find is that, you know, especially when a glove gets wet, you get that finger slippage, especially as you're, you're going to go close the glove. So this helps to tighten up those finger stalls for you to get, again, more leverage over it as you're closing the glove. Um, initial feedback has been has been great. You know, people are saying, I can't feel it on my hand. It's not making my hand sweat wet any more you know uh, i'm keeping a neutral temperature which is fantastic and, and i'm not losing you know that grip inside my glove whereas you know third period comes around i've been sweating a whole bunch my hand starts to slip so it's a great way to take that away one of the things we see for kids in particular with smaller hands is sometimes glove palms can be a little too big especially when they want to be in a senior glove and i know for custom orders you guys are all over that companies give you the option of putting an intermediate palm into a full-size glove that's certainly something that you work with your customers if they want on a custom basis but i wonder if having a little bit of that that thicker fingers with the glove and that little padding on the end might also help 
for kids that don't have that option, they got to buy off the rack and maybe their hand's a little small for that glove. Can it help give you a little extra grip for closure? This is a great hidden point to this too as well. So especially, you know, you're, you're in a junior size, you're, you're almost there into an intermediate, but you can't quite fit it. Um, hey, try on the glove. All of a sudden, hey, this feels tight. I'm getting a proper closure out of it. Great. We've, we've solved the problem and we're moving you into the next size up. So it's a great way. Um, again, you got to come try it on. You got to see if it works for you, but it could be a great way to get you up to into that next size when it's need be. Okay, perfect. Well, and I, and I know it comes in a bunch of different sizes, uh, adult, small, medium, large, also intermediate, junior sizes. Like, what's the size range? Uh, they call it use sizing, but uh, yeah, so there's a full adult size run, small to XL, um, and then we got a use sizing again, and I th- believe it's small, medium, large. XL. There we go. This um, is why you come to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, not just to check out the new pads and new gloves. It's to check out all the little extra things that can help you with goaltending. And the reason they go out and find these things is because they're goaltenders themselves. So make sure you check it out. Um, we'll promo it on our social media pages, send some links out to people. It's called Lizard Skins Inner Glove with Padding. Uh, it's available from the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports, and thehockeyshop.com. Um, look for a little more feedback, like I said, from the pro. We've got testing it out. Uh, a little more feedback from us in the near future, or just call Cam and the guys at 604-589-8299 and ask them about the Lizard Skins Inner Glove and how it can help you catch more pucks. All right, thanks, Cam. Thank you. Okay, in a moment of uh, of admission, of honesty, do either one of you guys wear, wear a glove underneath your, your blocker trapper? Never have. And that's, see, that's Hutch is the guy who needs it for, you know, those little handed people that's supposed to help. Um, or, or, or he just, he just orders intermediate palms. I think uh, like a lot of people have small hands. hundred percent. Right. Intermediate yeah. palms so, arrived here. See, and that's, that's the thing guys. That's, and that's again, another, not to, not to go all hockey shop on everything, but that's what they understand. Listen, custom orders, intermediate palms in full size gloves, whether it's for, uh, an up-and-coming young goaltender, a female goaltender, or Hutch. Thank you. It can help you get closure on a glove that might be a little bit too big for your smallish hands. These batting gloves evidently do the same. Now, me, I haven't had to use one myself, uh, but it was interesting. The tester I teased there, we'll give his name, uh, Jake Keeley, who signed with the Vancouver Canucks, I noticed as he came in late in the season and started practicing, he wore a batting glove. And so I asked him a little bit about it. Another goalie that wears batting gloves famously is Tuka Rask under his mitts. Um, Henrik Lundqvist is famous for wearing gloves, but it's not a batting glove. It's a much thinner uh, material that he wears. Anyways, Jake Keeley, who's trying the lizard skin for us and is going to give us our feedback, uh, his problem, he bought the same model that Rask had. The problem with traditional batting gloves is they're not designed to be in a mitt for an hour, right. hour and a half at a time. So the amount of sweat you get in there compared to, say, playing baseball is exponentially more. He found that they would dry out and start to fall apart. Crusty. You know, at, yeah, and at a prohibitive level, especially as a guy who's playing NCAA hockey uh, up until signing his contract with the Canucks a couple of weeks ago, uh, he liked the feel, uh, the padding on the inside of the hand and on the fingertips. He liked that in the lizard skins right out of the box, trying it out. And he felt like the material it was made of, like right away, he felt like this is not going to dry up and get crusty on me and not going to break down in the same way. We'll see. He's going to give it a go this summer in his skates, and he's going to get back to us and provide feedback on uh, you know, what he likes about this model compared to the other ones he's tried. I think he had a Rawlings before. So, And again, 
you know, credit to the hockey shop. Uh, batting gloves become a trend. Let's not just go out and buy a batting glove and offer it to our goalies. Let's do a little research, find something that is made of a, a specific type of synthetic that we think is going to be more durable, has padding in areas that we feel as a goaltender is most important. And let's bring that to our people. Let's bring that to our customers, something we think is going to be better than what's out there more commonly in other options. Just reaffirm, there is a, a protection element to this piece of equipment. Oh yeah, there's there's padding in there's extra padding in the palm and on the fingertips. Fingertips is more, I think, for a for a feel thing and getting a grip. Again, that's where they think it helps with kids and guys with smaller hands. <clears throat> Hutch, um, you know that little extra padding helps you sort of grip with the tip of your fingers a little bit. Speaking of tips of the fingers, I'm getting a finger right now from Hutch on the YouTube um, or the Skype or whatever the kids call these things these days. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it helps it helps with the closure a little bit but there's also padding sort of right underneath the index finger um, which is where you're most likely to sort of get a stinger. That's where a, a seam in a glove is most likely to catch you. That in the bottom of the palm, there's extra padding in there uh, on the batting glove. And that's one of the things that Keeley talked about is not wanting to have too thick a glove in practice uh, as a goaltender. And, you know, for him in the NCAA, not hat, not like once you're pro, right, you're getting like multiple gloves. You talked about 35 gloves for one guy, practice palms, the whole works, but, but we're not all pros. We don't get practice gloves. Having that batting glove underneath there can just be an extra layer for practice that doesn't hurt you in a game. You get to maintain the same feel without the damaged, bruised hand. And you wouldn't wear this glove in your blocker. You would wear sort of the more traditional glove that that we've seen in the past under your blocker you probably you? you probably could i gotta be honest i don't know why anyone would wear a glove on their blocker but to, to, i'm sure there are people out there that do and we encourage yeah. them to let us know why because to be honest i haven't run across that one okay. nearly as commonly and what about uh does this does this combat uh I, i'm giggling because i know hutch is gonna just he's gonna i love that i know where you're going this. i know where you're yeah. going soap also does that what is, is this gonna combat stinky glove yeah <laughs> You, you knew I was going to go there? I knew you were going there. Just get some soap, but that's okay. You can wash your hands oh. after the game, Darren. You guys got stinky glove? Pro- guys, no, guys. I don't. I said I knew where Darren was going. Listen, guys, I've got a product for that, too. We'll uh, make sure we do that one on the hockey shop. Please. Soon. Trust me. There are there At one point, we had up to a dozen sets in the quote-unquote in-goal garage, the in-goal offices here. Uh, yeah. I am married. I do have two daughters. Um, at one point my wife said, either the stink goes, the gear goes, or you go. Uh, I found a solution that took care of all of it without having me or the gear to leave the garage. It's a spray. If you put it on every time, it is like, it is miracle fuel. It is just awesome. So we'll, uh, we'll make sure we bring that out next time because it is honestly the best product I've ever used. You don't have to put it in the wash. You just spray it before you dry it and it takes all the odor out and it's all natural too. Hutch knows I'm stinky. That's that's a bad no, sign I right th- there. I think I think we need to have a segment for uh, tips from goalie parents. Uh, how do you get through? Oh, it? How, that would be great. Seriously, how do you get through a five or six game uh, tournament weekend without the stinky gloves? Because Kevin, uh, it's tough for them to dry out, and you can't keep spraying more stuff on them either. Good call. Okay, let's get into our feature interview and slide uh, this uh, this direction of of uh, a person. And a program who are just walking in lockstep. Now, Joey Decord has a name that that National Hockey League people, goalie people, will be very familiar with uh, because of his father and the and the goalie coaching side of things. But uh, but Joey went to a program 
in Arizona State University that was in its infancy. So Joey, trying to make a name, his own name for himself, joins a program that, uh, that is in its initial steps. And by the time they're finished and they part ways, they've both reached uh, new heights and heights that we didn't exactly expect from either one of them. Now Joey has moved on to the National Hockey League. He's gone from Sun Devil to Senator, and he caught up with our own Kevin Woodley. And we'd like to welcome to the podcast this week, Joey Decord of the Ottawa Senators, formerly Arizona State University. Kind of a big couple weeks for you, Joey. Walk us through, for those who didn't follow it uh, closely, what that was like. You finish your college career, um, and within, what, 24 hours, you're on the ice with the Ottawa Senators. That that timeline sound about right? How close am I there? Uh, yeah, you're, you're pretty close. It was... Um... It felt it felt quicker than that. I think it ended up being more like forty eight. It was uh, it was we lost on Saturday night to Quinnipiac in the uh, NCAA regionals, and then um, Sunday was kind of a negotiation day, and then Monday morning I got the word that uh, I had about an hour to pack and, and get to the airport. <laughs> so a whirlwind. What? Uh, how do you go from that? I mean, that's a low. Obviously, you had a great season. Uh, with Arizona State University, and and then with like you said, within forty eight hours, within twenty four hours, you're negotiating the next step. How do you go from what is what is a tough ending to a good year to the other, you know, the emotional swing to the other side of your first NHL contract and on a plane to to join an NHL team? It was it was strange. It's um, it was a unique situation. It's something that I've never, you know, I've nothing like I've ever had to go through before. Um, but it was it was it was cool. It was one of those things where um, you know I myself and and me as a team and uh, us as a team we were we were so heartbroken after we lost. You know we felt like we put so much time and effort and um, you know we really had an amazing season um, at, at ASU to to make the NCAA tournament as an independent. As um, I think we got as high as like 48th in the country last year to then be in the top 16 and um, you know finish at number 10 in the country like. We just felt like, you know, we felt like we were a team of destiny a little bit. And, um, you know, to have it not go our way was tough. And um, so it, it made it it made it made really difficult, um, you know, to kind of to kind of have to put that, that, that part aside. And then, um, you know, because it happened so quickly, you kind of just got to do what's best for your career and what you think is best. So, um, you know, I really – I spent the next day really talking it out with my parents and my family and – um, kind of deciding what we wanted to do. And, um, you know, we felt like it was the right decision to, to move forward. And then um, since there was only a week left of the season, stuff kind of had to happen really fast. So, um, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes, I guess. What were some of the factors? Like you said, tough to leave school, but is just the opportunity so good you can't turn that down? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was a good opportunity to, to get a chance to, to hopefully play. You know, they didn't promise me I was going to play, but, um, you know, they said that, um, you know, if they had the opportunity, they'd try to get me in. So, um, you know, to have that opportunity and then, um, you know, kind of looking at where my game was at um, and, and the success that I'd had and, um, you know, seeing whether it was the right decision to, to move on or not. You know, there was a lot of different things that, that went into it, but, um you know, I'm I'm one of the older college guys now. I'll be 23 this summer, so it's not like I'm a a 20 year old junior and still need time to to develop and and um, you know get ready and um, for the program for the pro game. And I felt like 
um, after I, like I said, after I spoke with my family, it was, um, you know, it was just the right time and it was the perfect storm of, uh, of a situation. Well, I want to get into what it was like when you got there and the debut against the Buffalo Sabres, but just, just to backtrack for a second there, um, what's it like, like how vital or important was it to have your dad in on that conversation? I mean, when you talk about your game being ready to take a step as a pro and for those who, you know, don't know, uh, Joey's dad, Brian Decord, former goaltending coach of the Boston Bruins. He's coached like just a ton of goaltenders, um, names you would know right up to the NHL level folks like Corey Schneider, Mike Conan. I think Darling spent some time there, um, at stop at goaltending, which is kind of like an institution for goaltending and goaltending coaches, uh, and also a consultant with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So with all that knowledge, all that history, all that background, how much did that help in terms of having the confidence in your game to make this step and knowing it was the right time? Well, I think the biggest thing was that he, he'd gone through it with all those guys before and he's seen those guys um, and their paths to, to success and, and how they've gotten there and what they've had to do to be successful. And um, I think when you've gone through it, 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 it helped him and it helped us kind of get the timing down of everything. Because um, it's really the first time you do it, it's um, – you know, it's a unique situation. And I think this time was a little bit different for him because it was the first time doing it as a parent. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a little different when you're just advising a kid that you work with as opposed to when it's your kid. So I think it was a little different on that end. But um, at the end of the day, um, you know, having that experience and having gone through it with um, a bunch of other guys, I think really helped us and helped him kind of assess the situation and um, decide what the, the best plan of attack was moving forward. Okay, so now to the NHL. You arrive in Ottawa. What's that first practice like? Uh, NHL shots. Now, that's the other thing. When you're at an elite camp and you grow up around elite players, you probably face elite shooters all the time. So was the jump as big as you thought it might be into that first practice? And what were the emotions leading up to that first start when they told you you were going to get a game? Well, you know, it was strange because, you know, to backtrack a little, like, in a sense, your season's over on Saturday. So it's kind of, you kind of go into this mode where, okay, the season's over, like, you don't have to skate anymore. So then, you know, 48 hours, whatever later, like, boom, you're back at practice. So um, it was weird. It was a little weird. It was like the kind of stop-start stop type of thing. It, it was a little strange. Um, but, it, you know, it was funny. I, I got to the rink and... Um, on Tuesday morning, actually, because I got in late on Monday night to Ottawa. And so I got to the rink in the morning on Tuesday and um, had to go through kind of, you know, kind of the whole process of, um, you know, when you first get there and, and stuff. And one of the nice things was I've known Mike Condon since he was probably in high school, since he's been training with my dad for so long. And um, to kind of see a familiar face at the rink right away in the morning really helps settle down the nerves because, you know, you walk into an NHL locker room with all these guys. And I, I know a few guys from development camp in the past, but, um, you know, to see him there really helped really help settle the nerves down a little bit and, and feel more comfortable. So that was, um, that was a nice way to start the day. And then um, I actually drove over to the practice rink with Bobby Ryan, um, you know, a, a very successful um, you know, NHL hockey player who's had a long career. So that was pretty cool right away. It's, you know, you're a college kid and then bang, you're driving to team NHL practice with Bobby Ryan. It was, uh, it was, it was definitely a whirlwind. And then, um, you know, when I tried to, when I got out there for practice, I just tried to take a deep breath and, and, um, I was talking with Pierre grew a little bit before practice. He's the goalie coach. Um, you know, we got on a little early to do some goalie stuff and then it was like, Hey man, you know, just go out there and do your thing, have fun, enjoy it. You know, it's your first NHL practice. So, um, just try to have fun. And that's what I try to do. And, and, uh, you know, I, I felt really good actually. I was 
a little surprised. I thought it might be a little, um, you know, a little more of a, a crazy jump. But for me, I felt like I settled in pretty good and I thought I had a good practice. So, um, you know, it was a good way to start. Nice. PG is one of our favorite here at Ingle Magazine as well. And obviously Mike Condon as well. So I actually sent Mike a text when I found out we were going to get you on today and, and had him shoot me a few questions to pass along that we'll, uh, we'll ask you a little later. Um, cool. That, that, that week as you get comfortable in practice, like, is there anything that jumps out as, you know, what, what's the biggest difference in terms of making that step? Was there one thing that you found was a little different? Was there a pace or a speed thing at all? Or was it all just pretty much comfortable for you? Well, I think at the end of the day, hockey's hockey, right? You know, I think one of the things is I've been watching NHL hockey for my whole life. And one of the things I noticed was that it's just patterns, right? Like hockey is a series of patterns over and over and over again. So, um, you know, obviously much faster, much better shots. The release came off the blade way quicker. And a lot of guys, especially at the NHL level, are so good at, at doing little things to change their release and how they get the puck off their stick. That's a little, might be a little funky or a little different or helps them get it off quicker or, um, you know, in a way that makes it harder to read the release. Um, but at the end of the day, it was just all the same things that I've been seeing my whole life and been watching on TV my whole life, just at a faster pace. So not that sounds like that's a pretty I don't say easy adjustment, but it sounds like it was pretty smooth for you. What what are the nerves like though heading into that first game? You find out you're going to get the start in Buffalo or against Buffalo. Mm-hmm. What's I mean is is there any nerves at that point leading into it? Were you, how were you able to manage them and and calm them if need be? Yeah, absolutely. I was actually I kind of surprised myself a little bit with how calm I was throughout the whole week. Um, you know, I figured, or I assumed going in that I, that I might, I'd be pretty nervous going in, you know, practice, meeting all the guys and, um, you know, it's, it's a lot to take in all at once. So, um, I actually surprised myself with how calm I was, but then, you know, the day of the game, you wake up and you're like, geez, I'm playing in the NHL tonight. Like, this is pretty, this is pretty insane. You know, you, you dream about it your whole life and all of a sudden it's like tonight is, is that one game that you've been, you've been working towards your whole life. So, um, it definitely hit me a little bit in the morning. And, and, um, I think once you kind of get into your game day routine though, I think everything kind of starts to feel the same, you know, morning skate, um, pregame nap, everything kind of just goes the way it's, um, it's always gone. And it's at the end of the day, it's a hockey game. And, um, I was definitely nervous, but once you get to the rink and, and get into your pregame routine and start doing everything and, um, you know, play soccer, stay loose. I, I thought I, uh, you know, was pretty comfortable throughout the entire experience. You a nap guy? A big pregame nap guy. Oh yeah. Did it come any, was it any tougher to fall asleep or did you manage to manage to doze off as, as per the routine? Uh, I think it was a little trickier than normal. <laughs> you okay, know, all right. Lots, lots to think about, but I was able to, I was able to, to get to sleep for a little bit. Nice. Now, um, were there any things that you used? Like we talked to goaltenders, you know, there are sort of ties that bind. Well, like I said, whether it's peewee to pro, um, gear, technique, mental tips. Are there any things that that you've developed over the years that allowed you to sort of stay in the moment, stay within your routine? Uh, and not let the mind wander as you went through, you know, trying to maintain as much normalcy in that game day uh, plan as as you've had at every other level. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things for me has just been patience, whether that's in my game on the ice or pregame preparation or, um, you know, kind of mental prep. I think I think one of the biggest things for me is, is when I stay patient, that's when I'm successful. Um and, you know, before the game, I just try to take it all in and, um, 
you know, kind of stay focused on my pregame routine. And then on the ice, like at the end of the day, you know, it's still hockey and you just got to be, um, be true to yourself and, and stick to what's gotten you there. And, and, um, you know, I think for me, um, I, I told myself that if I was patient, um, during that game and that if I, if I, you know, trusted my reads and hit my spots and, and got set before, um, you know, before shots that, that I'd be successful. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I did a pretty good job of executing that. How do you feel the game went overall? I mean, I think at the end of the day, you didn't look like you got a lot of help. Uh, a rebuilding team in the Ottawa Senators, a young team and a, and a Buffalo team that had a lot of offense. 40 shots, I think, was the total that night. So it wasn't an easy debut. It wasn't They didn't exactly dip you in, you know, to, little dip in the toes. They threw you right into the deep end of the rink that night. What, how do you think it went overall? What? How'd you feel at the end of that game when you look back over the film with PG? I felt really good. Um, I think one of the coolest parts about it was, um, you know, after the game and even watching the video, I felt like um, I didn't look out of place. And that was the biggest thing for me was um, I knew it was going to be a big jump. I knew that it was going to be, um, you know, an extremely difficult game just because I played in college four days before. Like the, the jump was so big that, um, you know, it, it's kind of, um, you know, you have, you have, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, curved expectations, I guess you could say, where, um, you know, you're, you're hoping for the best, but, you know, you played college a couple of days ago. So um, at the end of the day, it's just trying to get your feet wet and and um, get a good barometer of where you're at and, and where your game's at. And I think for me, the coolest thing was just knowing that um, that I can play and that, that I felt like um, – I felt like I belonged out there and then I felt like, um, I didn't feel like a fish out of water. And, um, you know, I was also really happy with how calm I was throughout the whole game. I know I just mentioned that to you, that patience, uh, but just staying calm and, um, you know, I didn't get too worked up or stressed out or put any extra pressure on myself. I was, um, smiling, laughing, having a good time, um, and, and really just enjoying the whole experience. When did folks make it? What's that? Did you, did you, did you, did you folks make it to watch the game? Yeah, so I probably had about 20 family and friends there. Uh, my parents made it. My younger brother from school made it. Um, nice. or he got out of school, actually, to, to come see the game, so he was excited. And then uh, my two best friends from home made it. Wow. Um, grandparents were able to make it. And then Coach Powers and um, my goalie coach, uh, Andrew Matheson, and then one of our senior athletic directors from ASU, uh, they all made it. So that was cool to have them there. And um, especially because I was the first one from, from Arizona State to play in the NHL. It's, uh, really cool to have them there as well. Nice. Uh, and uh, so what, so you get into the, say, the national anthem. There's a quiet moment where everything's about to start. I mean, in warm-up, the pucks are flying, everything's flying. That's an easy time to stay in your routine. Mind wander at all during the anthem? Any emotions? You think about the people that are watching? You think about the people that helped you get there? Were you able to, even in that moment of sort of quiet and stillness, able to stay focused on the task at hand? Yeah, well, I think one of the cool things about about that moment is, you know, you come out, warm-ups, usually the crowd's kind of, you know, everyone still kind of getting there, settling in, so there's not really a big crowd, but then when you come out for the start of the game, like, place is packed, um, and that's, you know, the biggest crowd I've ever played in front of, and, um, you know, obviously a big arena, and so you kind of, during the National Anthem, I was kind of looking around, and I was like, all these people are here to watch me play hockey, like, this is kind of insane, you know, um, and, and then you kind of have that flashback moment of, um, all the ups and downs of your your career and your life and all the people that it took to um, to make it happen. You know, it's kind of crazy when you think about um, how many people it takes to make one dream come true. It's 
uh, it's truly incredible. Um, so for that, what's that? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was going to say, do you get a chance to see them afterwards after the game before you, before you headed back to Ottawa with the team? Yeah, so I went, I went up and, and uh, saw my parents. And, um, you know, it was emotional. They've, they've sacrificed so much for me. I'm incredibly grateful for everything they've, um, you know, they've done for me and um, sacrificing to get me where I am today. So um, it was really special, and, and I shared a um, – you know, I shared a, a pretty cool moment with my parents after that one. I want to ask you about that. Obviously, the the emotions of that and sharing that with your parents, but just the relationship with your dad, because I think any of us who, have, even even in the little league level, right, like in any sport, when your dad's the coach, sometimes it's different. Um, but mm-hmm. especially when your dad's like one of the top coaches, you know, in America, if not the world, in terms of, you know, one of those elite guys that works with elite athletes and has done so for such a long time, worked at the NHL level, still consults at the NHL level, being a goalie with that dad, what's that like? And how have you managed to keep that relationship strong? Is there other advice? You know, I'm thinking of all the young kids out there right now that, you know, maybe they're coming off a tough game and dad gave them some pretty good advice, but they don't want to hear it. Like, what was that What was that process like? And how did you guys manage to sort of stay strong as a relationship throughout? Or were there tough moments in there? Well, you know, that's, that's a great question. I think um, the biggest thing for me was that um, I think as soon as I was old enough to know what, you know, what was going on and, and understand how hockey works and, um, you know, kind of became old enough to have a bearing on everything that was going on around me. And what my dad does is I just always kind of trusted him. And I think a big part of that was when I was seven years old, eight years old, like he was already coaching in the NHL. <clears throat> so, he already had that track record of, of being an extremely established coach. So it wasn't like he was a dad who, you know, played high school hockey and, um, you know, was trying to tell me different things. Um, and you're kind of like, well, I don't really know if any of that's right or not. It was, you know, this guy, he, he coached in the NHL um, and, and he's worked with so many goalies that have been successful that obviously like he's doing something right. <laughs> and, um, you know, for me, I, I think my, my dad and I have always had a tremendous relationship. Um, he was the coach of my youth hockey teams, probably until Pee Wee's. Um, you know, he, him and I always had an awesome relationship and, um, he was hard on me. It's not, it's not that he was easy on me. He, he was hard on me when, when, um, you know, when, when the time calls for it. And, um, I think one of the big things for us was that when, when I was younger, um, he always preached that he was always going to keep it real with me. He was never going to feed me, um, you know, anything that wasn't the truth. And he always just kept it real and we always kept it real with each other. And he was just honest with me. And I think that was something that was incredibly important because I understood that when he was being hard on me, like he, it wasn't that he was upset with me or um, disappointed in me. He was just being honest and telling me how I could improve myself to become a better goalie. And I think um, that's one of the most important things is understanding his intentions. Um, I think in, in a lot of cases with parents, there's kids take it personally when their parents try to, um, you know, help them or teach them or whatever it may be. And even if you're, even if your dad isn't an established goalie coach, um, 
you know, they're older. They've been through a lot more. They've seen a lot more. And um, I think if you can understand that they're just trying to help you and that they want the best for you, then it makes it a lot easier to um, have have a positive relationship um, and, and, you know, kind of um, come to thrive out of it. Wow, that's that's really well said, Joey. I've unrelated to hockey. I have a 15 year old daughter right now, and nothing to do with goaltending. I might just play this back for her in terms of the, you know the older people being right every once in a while. That might help me at home. Um, <laughs> the, uh, cool. So the one thing I did, I, I I heard in an interview when you got to Ottawa that like when did you become a goalie and when did it become full time? It sounds like you skated out for a while, which you know I find interesting. I think it's something we preach here at Ingle. Um, but it's becoming harder and harder to do for a lot of young goalies. So um, actually, when I played youth hockey, the league that I played in mandated that you also had to play, like the, the, the select team, the travel team, mandated that you also had to play for your town youth hockey team. So when I was in, you know, Mites, Peewee, Squirts, Peewees growing up, um, I had to play for two teams. And I was like, well, I'm not going to play goalie for both teams. So I actually played D for the other team, for my town team. Um, so um, I played goalie on my uh, my travel team, um, you know, which was better hockey. And, you know, I I always liked playing goalie more. I, but it's not that I didn't like skating out either. I love scoring goals. And to this day, sometimes I still just want to skate out and try to go score a goal. Like, to me, it's fun. I just love hockey all around, um, you know, and, and I'm not – uh, I don't consider myself just a goalie. Like I love playing hockey and um, you know, whatever position it may be. And then um, I played, I played out, I skated out as well as played goalie until probably just before high school, I think. Um, and then I ultimately decided, Hey, you know, I want to get serious here and I want to be a goalie. And um, you know, I, I think I was all, my dad, you know, him being a goalie and playing professionally as well. Like, I think he, I think he wanted me to be a goalie, but he never ever forced that upon me or, um, you know, kind of made that, made that, um, something that he, he wanted me to do or anything. He let me decide. And I kind of decided that that, that was what I wanted to be, um, on my own. And, and I think one of the other thing, cool things too, is I always played other sports, like even in high school, up until, up until I graduated high school, I played, um, my senior year, I was a three sport captain. I played hockey, soccer, and tennis. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, I think that was also a crucial aspect of um, growing up. You got to play other sports. You can't play hockey year round. Like I'll pack my bag up for probably eight weeks right now um, since the season ended, and just kind of get away from it, do other things, play other sports, and then um, you know get back at it for the summer and get ready for next season. Still use tennis to cross train. That's one that I know Henrik Lundqvist has talked to us many times in the past about as a really good sort of footwork hand eye <laughs> sport for the off season. I, I love playing tennis. I'm a huge Roger Federer fan. Um, my my mom's uh, my mom's from Switzerland, so when I was younger, I I just saw you know Federer and I saw the Swiss flag, and for some reason I I just you know I, I just uh, seemed to like him a lot. And little did I know he'd become the greatest tennis player of all time. And uh, you're, you know, you're ahead really, of the curve. Uh, yeah, seriously. Um, and so I'm a huge tennis fan, and I actually only started playing. My, I started playing tennis my sophomore year of high school. And then um, my junior year, I went undefeated. And then my senior year, um, I was team captain. So wow. uh, it was pretty cool. And I still love playing to this day. It's, it's one of my most uh, favorite sports to play. 
Now, looking back, you, you, you mentioned playing out and having that option. Do you think it was a positive for you? We've talked to guys over the years. You know, we haven't published the interview, but I talked to Alex Stalock late in the season about his puck handling, and he credited playing out uh, as well through high school. Braden Holpe, not, not puck handling specific, but he just felt like his dad allowing him, or actually in his case forcing him to play out till he was 13, allowed him to learn to read the game better. When you look at back at that decision to play both for so long, do you think it helped you become the goaltender you are today, whether it's puck handling or your ability to, like you said, connect the patterns, seeing them from the other side for so long? That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, <clears throat> when, you, when you play different positions, you understand the game, the game from different perspectives. And I think that's a huge part of playing hockey is seeing what – what the players are seeing when they're looking at you, um, how your defensemen are reading off you, how your forwards are reading off you, how they're looking at you when they're trying to score or what their intentions are. Um, but even on just when they're skating on zone or um, whatever it may be, like there's, there's, there's 10 skaters and two goalies and every single player out there has a different perspective of what's going on on the ice. So the more that you can have a 360 de- uh, degree view of everything that's going on, the more prepared you're going to be for every situation that's going to get thrown at you. And if you see those same patterns over and over and over again, and you see them from your perspective and then different perspectives, I think it's only going to improve um, how well you, you see and read the game. And then in terms of the puck handling, like for me, I, I find that to be one of my biggest assets and probably one of the reasons that I, that I made it as far as I have was because when I was younger, um, you know, I, I separated myself from other goalies that maybe were just as good at me at stopping the puck, but I was able to play the puck a little bit better. So that gave me a little bit of a, uh, an advantage over them. So maybe I made that junior team or, or that high school team instead of someone else. And then I ended up playing, you know, um, and I think a big part of that comes from playing out. It's, it's the same muscles and the same skills. It's just, you just got to learn how to use a glove basically. Um, and that's something that comes when you get older and stronger, basically. And when you do it as a kid playing, you know, with player gloves and player stick, like you build the same muscles and you get stronger that way and you become better at it. So I think that was a big part of, of my puck handling skills as well. And such a big part of the game today. Now, one of the other things I wanted to ask you, the benefit of having a dad who's working with big name NHL goaltenders in the summers on a regular basis as as a young goaltender, like like you must have some pretty cool locker room or on the ice experiences that a lot of kids would probably be very jealous of just being around those guys. Um, I'm thinking, trying to put the timelines together on you know when would a guy like Corey Schneider have been coming through there, Mike Condon, guys that you know I, I you know I see you list as idols, guys that I've been lucky enough to get to know too and consider to be. You know, it's interesting to see and hear how well you think the game and, and seem to have a passion for it. I see commonalities there. Like Corey's a guy who I could, you know, I could listen to talk goaltending forever. Um, what were some of your earliest memories of getting to be around these guys? And what did you take from those? Just, just, just even being able to soak up that NHL atmosphere on a personal level at a young age. Well, my first, my first stories come from, uh, when my dad was with the Bruins actually, and I was really young and uh, his goalies, I believe were Byron Defoe and John Graham. So Byron Defoe was like my first guy. Like my first set of pads were the old iTechs that had stars all over them. Um, yep. Because that's, that's the pads that Byron Defoe had, um, you know, the, the black and gold stars. So uh, I had, I had those pads because of him. Um, I actually still have a Byron Defoe, iTech stick hanging in my room uh, that he signed. Um, and then 
I remember playing mini hockey with them, you know, in the Bruins locker room when I was probably, you know, six, seven, eight years old. So um, that's, that's when it first all started for me. And then he actually had, um, I think his last year he was there was Andrew Raycroft's first year. Um, and then he kind of, from there became my favorite goalie at that time. And uh, I remember um, my dad and I went to go see him play in Providence. And then um, we were driving home after the game and my dad let me talk to Razor on the phone. And I was like the coolest moment of my life. So, you know, I got to have a little conversation with Andrew Raycroft on the phone. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, And I actually have, I still have his um, old gold Bruins jersey, the one with like the bear face on it, signed in my room, um, hanging up as well. So those are my first guys. Um, How How old would you have been then? Um... I think my dad was there around 2001, so probably like between like five and eight. Oh wow! What a six, great. seven, six, seven, eight years old, something like that. Yeah. So you walk into that Ottawa Senators room, no big deal, right? Like you've already been in the room, <laughs> you've grown up around this. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I was a little bit too young to to know what's going on totally, but um, those are the stories I, I initially remember. Um, and then, and then Corey. Um, he was the first one that I got close to personally because he was around the most, you know, in the summers training with my dad. And, um, you know, when he was at Boston college, that was where I wanted to go. Cause, um, I thought it was the coolest thing ever that he was the starting goalie at Boston college and, um, he got drafted out of prep school. So I wanted to go to prep school. Um, and you know, I wore number one cause he wore number one growing up. And then when he switched to 35, when he was signed with Vancouver, um, because I believe Luongo was number one, so he had to pick a different number, so he picked 35. Yep, so then as, I as Roberto, 35. Roberto used to say, because number one says it all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so you and switched. Then, so then I switched to 35 that year as well. That was my first year of high school hockey. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, so him and I kind of got close through that. Um, I just remember always being a little kid at, at my dad's camps, and I wasn't old enough to do the camps, but on the last day in the last afternoon, he'd let me slide on with the guys, and I'd go around and do the drills with everybody. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't old enough to be out there, but that's the benefit of having the dad that, that owns the company. So, um, you know, those, those moments are really what inspired my love for the game. Now, you mentioned Boston College and wanting to go there. You end, end up instead at Arizona State. That decision... How how did that come about? Because that's 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 the other side, man. That's that's sunshine and uh, warm weather versus cold winters. Was that part of it? Um, yeah. Well, I, I think the biggest thing was that I was going to have an opportunity opportunity to play and be the starter, and um, you know, kind of do what we did, which was build the program. Um, and something that I'm incredibly grateful to have been a part of was to be the first team to make the NCAA tournament only after uh, being a program for three years is, is truly something that's, that's incredibly special to me. And it's something that, you know, when, when I was talking to coach powers and, um, you know, when he was pitching me on coming down here, that was, that was the big sell. That was the big selling point. Um, but for me, it was really, really just to find somewhere to go play. And, um, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I didn't have, I didn't have another um, scholarship offer from anywhere else in the country. Um, you know, a lot of teams had talked to me and I'd gone on visits. I went on a visit to Boston College. I went on a visit to um, Merrimack. I went to Clarkson. I went to St. Lawrence. I went to Quinnipiac. And everyone that said they thought I was good, but 
and they wanted to see me play more. So no, no one really offered me. And then Arizona came out, um, you know, and it was only a, uh, pretty quickly after they announced they were going division one coach powers talked to me and told me, Hey, you're going to get a chance to be the guy here and, um, you know, build something special and, and be the tradition. And that's, um, you know, that's, it's crazy to think that, uh, when I committed here, we hadn't played a game of division one hockey yet. And then a couple of years later, I played in the NHL. So, um, it's pretty crazy. The sequence of events that, that took place. Take a lot of pride in that by the sounds of it. One of the things, uh, one of the other guys that I reached out to, cause I know you, you got to at least meet him a, or a little bit down there in Arizona was Eddie Lack. Um, that's the off season mm-hmm. home. And he asked me to ask you about that growth of hockey down there and what you, I know it's only been three years, but have you seen, you know, with and around the program, the way hockey is growing in that area and obviously the coyotes, uh, in the state as well. But have you, have you, do you take a lot of pride in being part of that? Have you seen that growth? Can you give me examples of what you've seen? I, yeah, I, I'm, in, I'm incredibly proud of what we've done here as a team and um, for our school and for hockey. Like, to be a part of it is, is so special because when I first, like I said, when I first committed here, like, I hadn't played a game at D1. And then a couple of years later, like, um, we're, we're in the NCAA tournament. Um, and, and to be to be the first team to make the tournament and and to do what we did this year as a team was so special. And, um, you know, I'm so proud to be a part of it, but in terms of growing hockey down here, like when I first came down here, we always got the, Oh, we have a hockey team. I thought we just had a club team like question. And, you know, it's, it's quite funny now. Like, you know, there were a few times this year, like we're walking on campus and, um, ASU is a hundred thousand kids. So, if you don't really, you know, like you don't really see people, you know, too often around campus and people would stop us like all the time this year and ask us, you know, we'd be walking a couple of guys on the team we'd be walking to class or whatever. And they're like, Hey, you guys play on the hockey team. Like you guys are killing it this year. Keep it up, you know? And then, um, you know, there were a few times this year we'd go out for like breakfast or lunch and people were like, Oh, you guys are on the hockey team. We have season tickets. Like you guys are awesome. Like, keep it up, keep up the good work. You guys are killing it this year. Like, it, you know, it was really amazing. And then, probably the coolest thing personally for myself was when I played my first game, the outpouring of support from the Arizona and Arizona state community was insane. Like my, my Twitter mentions were, were crazy with people that were um, going nuts. ASU alums, people from Arizona state um, just losing their mind at, at the, the fact that we had a hockey player play in the NHL. So that was really cool to see. Well, it sounds like you've done you've done the program proud and been a big part of that growth. I can't believe how much time we've taken here, Joey. My apologies. I think I, I told your SID I was going to be 15, 20 minutes and we're 35 in. Um, but a lot for you to be proud of. Like you said, first, first guy from the program to sign and play in the NHL. First guy from the program, first team All-American honor. Um, and, you know, like I said, it, we really enjoyed and appreciated your time talking to us now and uh, an exciting couple of weeks for you. But I hope this is the first of many conversations because this is just the start for you at the next level. And I'll see you around at the rink a whole bunch in the coming years. Absolutely. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Perfect. Thanks, Joey. All right. Yep. Thanks. Hey. These are great stories because uh, at times, I mean, I mean, Joey, Joey's born into the position, right? Like 
there's there's no weaving uh, away from from goaltending. What was your takeaway in in your conversations, knowing his entire background and his history? I think for me, it was uh, his thoughts about the relationship with his dad because I, I really wondered that. And actually, it was one of the things that Mike Condon sent me. Like, I reached out to some of the guys that he played with. I uh, didn't hear back from Corey Schneider quite in time for the interview. He might have been busy down at the Masters watching Tiger win. Lucky guy. Um, but I heard back from Eddie Lack, who who got to know him a little bit in Arizona. I heard back from Mike Condon with some ideas for some questions based on the history. And that was the one that Mike suggested. And, you know, I'll be honest, I had it in my queue anyways because I wanted to know, like, you know, we, we hear, you know, if you've been there, if your dad's been your coach, you, you know, that that's not an always an easy thing to sort of navigate. Um, and having his dad not only be his coach, but you know, the coach at the time, as he starts playing hockey of the Boston Bruins goalies, uh, a guy who works with NHLers, uh, throughout as he's coming up, like we heard about sort of all the fun, opportunities that creates getting to be in the locker room with Byron Defoe and on the phone with Andrew Raycroft as a youngster and on the ice with Corey Schneider and Mike Condon and all these guys. Um, but I thought there might be some, some negatives to it. And the way he talked about that relationship, the honesty, how he approached it as a goaltender, I think, I think it tells you they've obviously got a special bond, but I think there's probably some advice in there, not, not, not for parents, but for the young goalies who, you know, might not always want to listen to mom or dad when it comes to uh, advice on the drive home. Um, it's been a theme we've talked about with, with, with uh, coaches and goalies throughout. And I just, I thought there was a maturity um, to Joey's answer, uh, that spoke again to to a strong relationship and uh, and you know, obviously a kid who's probably raised right as well. There was and just his reasons for going to Arizona State and the pride he takes in growing up with that program. The one thing Eddie Lack got back to me with was ask him about the growth of hockey here because it really is, and that's where Eddie off seasons now. Um, he says it's been really tangible, and Joey takes a lot of pride in being a big part of that. And I think everybody in that. Uh, that program, that organization should, and and he's kind of the first to the NHL, first All American, a lot of a lot of firsts to be proud of, and yet he talks about being most proud of the program. So to me, those were the two biggest takeaways. A lot of good stories. I should have asked more about the iTech Star gear that Byron Defoe used to wear. Um, <laughs> I loved it, but I was I I just I, I came away being very impressed with the kid, and uh, I'm an old man now, so I can say kid. And as I said at the end of the interview, I think this is just going to be the first of many conversations. We celebrate his arrival into the NHL. Um, but when you listen to him talk, you have a feeling like he's going to be here for a while and a guy we get to talk to over the years and probably a guy we're going to enjoy talking to over the years. Interesting, too, uh, that he, he goes from Arizona State University and rides the development of that program and that should make him very comfortable for where he's going to start his professional career in in a in an organization that is that is essentially starting from the bottom up yeah there's an element there of um coming up together as a group and he's yeah. going to get that opportunity in Ottawa that's a good point Joey Decord, Arizona State, uh, Binghamton Senators, uh, Ottawa Senators so we will watch his uh his rise uh with great interest and there Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, and coaches is a seventh-round draft choice, and he's been a guest on In Goal Radio, the podcast. It can uh, happen in many different ways, and uh, we will try to bring you the great stories and those that are off the beaten path. And of course, as a kid who grows up in the Boston area, not just a seventh-round... 
drafted number 199 overall. And as he pointed out to the Ottawa media upon arrival with the Senators, the same spot that Tom Brady was taken. So draft position doesn't always matter, folks. Uh, okay, so he's a baby goat. What, there we go. What, what, what is a baby goat? Hutch? I don't even know where to a go kid? with that one. A kid, a yeah. Kid? Yeah. He, a kid. Yeah. That's what it is. That's what, so, what he said he was. I call him a kid. There we go. You yeah. call him a kid. Uh, on behalf of uh, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison uh, and uh, Little Hutch, uh, looking forward to uh, testing his new gear and getting all that uh, that out of the way and uh, and taking those steps in that brand new uh, pads and gloves as we work our way towards Tendy Fest. I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the playoffs. And remember, it's the National Goaltenders League. Paul Maurice said it. They should be the highest paid player because they face the most pressure and the opening round of the Stanley Cup playoffs has certainly proved that true. 